about every morning of the week I I walk uh, I just uh, I walk about five miles every day uh, I'm in a constant battle uh, <laughs> of wanting to eat donuts and pizza and oh lord cheesecake and and you know and, and, and night before we we just we plastered about 150 wings <laughs> I, mean, I mean we just and and to me there's there's not a really a, a more gourmet meal than captain crunch peanut butter and a gallon of milk i mean that just that's right at the top of the and because I like to eat, I, I, I walk uh, in the mornings to try to balance it. It's not working too well, but I'm, work, I'm trying. And so we're staying with my brother-in-law and sister. And so every morning I've got up and I've, I've walked and made, made a circle around their property there. And, and I use this time to communicate with God. I use this time to pray. It's my alone time I put my Beats headphones in and I put some good gospel music on and and I use this time to begin my day to communicate with God and so I'm walking and and I'm on my fourth lap around the the little area that I set for myself to walk and I look down and what do you think I found I found a penny Found a penny, and I'd walked over at least three times, and but it was buried down in the asphalt. It was it was stuck down where it took quite a bit of observation to see it, and yet it seemed like my focus was pinpointed on that. And God once again reassured, and here's my penny from Atlanta. And then here's the penny from the Atlanta airport. Before long, I'm going to have a bunch of them. But to me, they represent more than just monetary value. Because God quickened in my spirit that a lot of times we're quick to overlook humanity. We're quick to overlook people just as we would a penny. And the totality of Christ mission on earth was about people it was about people he didn't come to redeem the earth from from pollution he, he didn't come to restore the ecosystem to its natural balance he did not come to to restore it to its original condition even though man for six thousand years has been moving it around and he would say, well, I came to, to, to put it back like I did at the original creation. None of that really mattered to him. What mattered to him was people, souls. The psalmist would say that all souls are precious in his sight. And so I began to reflect after I found this other penny when I was walking, I began to ask the Lord how he would have me share this 
with the congregation today and he brought my attention to the book of Matthew the 13th chapter and he's talking about the kingdom of heaven he is explaining to the disciples what the kingdom of heaven is all about and so in the 45th verse he said again he's already made a lot of references he talks about the kingdom of heaven be like a treasure that's hid in a field and, and a man finds it and goes and sells everything that he has to come and buy this field and get this treasure. And, and so he's used different uh, metaphors about the kingdom of heaven and so we get down to verse 45 and he says again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man seeking pearls who when he finds one pearl of great price he went and sold all that he had and bought it because the value of the pearl exceeded the value of what he had see ladies and gentlemen your heart is really the only thing that God really wants but he can't take it by force he wants your heart. He wants my heart. But he, he's not going to throw us to the ground and say, give me your heart or else. It's the only thing that you can freely give him. It's the only thing that you can release to him. I give you my heart. And that's really what he wants. David, a man that we, we look to as, as a man that wrote several of the Psalms and and he is the, the giant killer as we call him he slew Goliath and and he slew a lion and a bear and but yet one thing that that I think totally capsulates the life of David is the Bible said that he was a man after God's own heart he was a God he was a man in pursuit of God's heart and God said that's what I'm after I'm looking for somebody that's willing to give me their heart not forced not manipulated I'm not looking for somebody that they don't have a choice in the matter but I'm looking for people who are willing participants who will say I will buy into the sacrificial life I will lean in to my relationship with God it's not one-sided it's worth something to me. And then in verse 47, he said again, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a net that was cast into the sea and gathered of every kind. Somebody say every kind. It was gathered of every kind, which when it was full, they drew it to shore and sat down and gathered the goods into the vessel and cast the bad away. And I began to think about this. When you are fishing, now most of us, you know, if you like fishing, fishing is an arduous chore to even do where we live. I like to fish. Someone said we live in the best fishing in the world. It's only 250 miles in any direction. I mean, I've got fishing gear in my garage. I've got fishing poles that just are great decoration. We get to use them maybe once a year when we go to the men's trip on, uh, to Colorado. But this is a different kind of fish because normally when you're fishing with a rod and reel, you're fishing for a specific fish. You're using a type of lure or bait to catch a certain fish. But 
The concept of the kingdom is that we fish with a net. We, we fish for reaching for as many people as, as we can reach. See, the Bible instructs us that it's not God's will that any perish. Somebody shout any. Any perish, but that all come to repentance. I think one of the greatest tragedies of the church is that we, we, have, we have reduced the gospel and bottlenecked the gospel and made it difficult for people to get to God. Very similar to the Pharisees that Jesus dealt with in Matthew 23 when he said to them, you shut up the kingdom of heaven. You won't go in, but you won't let anybody else in either. When I see the church, when I see the mission of Christ, I see Christ with his arms wide open. I see Christ saying, anybody that thirsts, come unto me. He, he wasn't looking for one logistical group of people. He was not looking for one socioeconomic group of people. He was, came to seek and to save that which was lost. In fact, he said, they that are whole don't even need a doctor. They that are whole are not looking for a physician. But if you're ever sick, you're going to look for a doctor. And he said, that's why I came. I came to reach the people that nobody wants. I came to reach the souls that are outcasts. I come to reach for the pennies uh, that are discarded in the path of life that nobody wants to stop and take a look at or give any time to. It's often said, and we've heard it, that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And I believe the mission of this church and what God is bringing us to is, is a mission that we love people. We love souls. We care about people. We are constantly reaching. What can we do for people, not what can people do for us? I think that's the mission of Christ because He came to redeem people that could not redeem themselves. Can I get a good Pentecostal amen today? He came to reach people and to lift people out of situations that they could not lift themselves out of. The psalmist said that he dug me out of a horrible pit. A horrible pit. He dug me. It took effort. When we look at Calvary, Calvary was not some cheap answer to a crisis. Calvary was a well, out, well thought out act by a God who knew man would walk away from him and choose to go with Eve rather than to stay in the garden to walk with him. But that did not discourage God. He said, that's okay. I've already provided an answer. I've already provided an antidote. I've already provided the serum for the snake bite of sin. I came to restore relationship back between God and man. We often classify sin, and we talked about this a little last week. The tragic events of, of Orlando just a couple weeks ago. And if we're not careful, we will allow our prejudice and our bias. Because see, as a preacher, let me let you in on some secrets of a preacher. As a preacher, I pretty much know, I've been here almost 10 years now, and I know most everybody that attends our church, I know what your prejudices are. I know what will stimulate you spiritually. 
I, I know what I can say to you to get a response. And if we're not careful, we begin simply to preach for a response when we're called to do something greater than just respond. I believe responding is part of it. But if we just respond emotionally, remember our two words, passion and zeal. If we just respond emotionally, we buy into it with passion. But if it affects us when we leave this place, and you can't drive down the street and see homeless people without tears welling up in your eyes, it becomes something more than a passion, it becomes a zeal. Passion brought Christ into the world, but zeal took him to the cross where he gave up his life for each and every one of us. We are not called just to become passionate about religion and passionate about church. We are called to become committed to the cause. He that endureth to the end, the same shall be saved. And so if we're not careful... In the tragic of events that happened in Orlando, we will be quick to pass judgment. And I'm just going to be honest with you. Christians can be some of the most judgmental people. I mean, we can be so quick. I think we need a baptism of 1 Corinthians 13. Some of you are like, well, what's 1 Corinthians 13? 1 Corinthians 13 talks about love. It talks about love thinks no evil. See, sometimes if we're not careful, we will judge somebody in the midst of their circumstances and not know why they react the way they react. And we will pass judgment on them not understanding the stress, we talked about that, and the pressure that they're under. And how many understand life brings pressure and stress? And if you don't know the battle that somebody's fighting, you can quickly label them because of your judgment and you will mislabel them. But that's the one thing about Jesus. He looked at people and he thought the best of people. He understood that one touch of his hand could lift them out of where they were into something better. That's the whole premise of the gospel, ladies and gentlemen, is that he came to lift us out of where we were, transforming us into something better and different. That's why Paul would say, be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind. There has to be a transformation of the heart and the mind. Ezekiel talked about it in Ezekiel 36 when he said, he'll take out the heart of stone and he'll put a heart of flesh and he'll write his law in your inward parts. See, we still struggle, ladies and gentlemen, with performance and relationship. Because we think if we do all the right things and say all the right things, uh, that it gets us a, a, a good old badge of honor. It makes us, you know, God says, well, you're obligated to me because I did this and I did this and I did this. And we are no better than the old covenant where it was all performance based and that's how their relationship with God. But God doesn't want you to do things without your heart involved. Mm. 
In fact, he said, he said there's a people, where he was quoting Isaiah, he said there is a people that draw near to me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. God is not looking in this hour for people that know what to say. He's looking for people that say it from the heart. He's looking for people that are attached with their heart. It's not just a passion thing. I'm in a church service, so I've got to say amen. But it's something that I live on Monday. It's something I live on Tuesday. It's something that I live on Wednesday. It's something that I live 365 days, 24 hour a day relationship. It, I, I would never be able to make it without him. I think we need to come back to some things and back to some basics because if he hadn't found me and he hadn't dug me and he hadn't picked me up and I'm grateful for that and I'm honored today to serve him because what he did for me. I'm honored to be a faithful servant. Paul would talk about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 when he would say, if any man would be a good steward, let him be found faithful. God is looking for people who are faithful. It's easy in this generation that we live for our, our desires to change as quickly as the weather. Our desires to change from one day to the next. But he's looking for somebody. See, what God is ultimately looking for, ladies and gentlemen, is when he comes in the cool of the day. That was not just one day a week. It was every day of the week. When he came in the cool of the day, he wanted to find Adam there saying, I've been waiting for you. I wonder how many times we're standing there when God comes and God says, and we say to God, I've been waiting for this moment. I've been waiting for this time. I've been waiting. See, that's what God wants. He doesn't want you to be manipulated into a frenzy where you respond because everybody else is responding and the mood of the moment and the emotions are going high and the music's going. He wants you to respond when there is no music. He wants you to respond when there is no emotion. He wants you to respond because you have a heart that says, I'm reaching after God. I'm pursuing God. And you, you and I can never pursue God without pursuing people. Because the heart of God is about people. The heart of God is about reaching people. I, and, and you don't have to buy into this, but, but I just believe there's going to be a special judgment for people who mistreat other people. I do. I believe there's going to be a special judgment for people who can just absolutely manipulate and cause trouble with people and talk about people and cause issues with people. You know, the Bible said, G Jesus was talking one day and he said, that except you become as a little child, you can't enter the kingdom. You can't enter heaven. In fact, he goes on to say, it would be better that a millstone would be tied about your neck and that you would be cast into the depths of the sea than to offend one of these little ones. See, the whole gospel hangs on two prophecies. Loving God with all your heart and loving your fellow man the same way. 
a lawyer one time came to Jesus seeking to alleviate himself of the duty of his fellow man. And he said to Jesus, what, what is the great commandment? I just want the great commandment. I just want to know, you know, so we can be bros, you know. And Jesus said, you, you shall love the Lord thy God with all the heart, soul, mind, and strength. And you shall love your neighbor. I didn't ask for the second one. I only asked for the first one. But ladies and gentlemen, you cannot detach one from the other. He said, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Seeking to further alleviate himself from responsibility, he said, who is my neighbor? I kind of imagine just a little grin in the right side of Jesus' mouth when he said, okay, I'll tell you who your neighbor is. It has nothing to do with the proximity of where you live. A man was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among thieves. But I don't know him, so I can excuse myself. He didn't say you had to know him. He just said he was your neighbor. So ultimately what he was saying is that everybody is our neighbor. Everybody. And so you will find, Paul said, if you want to fulfill the whole love of, uh, of the law of Christ, then you love one another. And John, wow. Can we get John to take this back? Can we get John to rewrite his, gospel, his epistle? Because he said, how can you love God whom you've not seen when you can't love your brother or sister who you have seen? Oh, I love God. Really? Jesus would say, a new camp commandment give I you. Love one another. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples in that you have love one toward another. I'm not talking about a placating love. I'm not talking about a patronizing love. I'm talking about a deep sense of relationship with one another. That I will be there for you if you need me. That I will bear one another's burdens so fulfilling the law of Christ. See, ladies and gentlemen, you cannot truly have the heart of God without having a heart for people. Because Calvary is about restoring relationship between God and men and men and men. That's what Calvary's about. He said, what greater love hath no man than this, that a friend would lay down his life. Hey, he called us friends. Even though we were lost, we were in depravity, we was in sin. But he said, I'll lay down my life for my friends. I will go take your place on a cross that should have your name on it, but I'll do it for you. And so I begin to look at some things. He said, he said the net gets all kinds of fish. The, the net, it doesn't just attract one kind, it attracts all kinds. And, and when you begin to reach for people, you cannot, you cannot profile people by your choosing. 
Well, I think they'd make a good Christian. I don't think they would make a, a good Christian. Who died and made you judge? He said, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. And so he said, the net's cast, and it, it catches all kinds of fish. Notice what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 12. Therefore all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. In other words, the way you want to treat people or the way you want to be treated is the way you treat people. The way you, you want to be treated, the way you want people to treat you, that's how you treat others. And notice how he closes this verse by saying, for this is the law and the prophets. In other words, this is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. That you would do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And I close today with a very familiar story of a young man who came to Jesus. Most of us consider him, uh, we've heard the story as the rich young ruler. Anybody ever heard the story of the rich young ruler? For those of you that have never heard the story of the rich young ruler, I will, I will tell you about it. The Bible said that there was a, a rich young ruler that came running to Jesus and he said to him, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, he said, keep the commandments. One in further detail, the young man said, which ones? And it's interesting that Jesus would, would explain to him. He, he would say in verse 18, after he asked which ones, Jesus would say, thou shalt do no murder. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Honor thy father and mother. And thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Ladies and gentlemen, is it not interesting that each one of these commandments have to do with how we treat other people? I mean, I, I find that so interesting. He didn't, he didn't say to the young man that thou shalt have no other gods before me. He didn't say to him that thou shalt not build a graven image. Remember, there's, there's other commandments that, that was given by Moses. He didn't say to him that you shall not worship any other God. He, he, didn't, he didn't give any of those commandments. The commandments that he addressed with the rich young ruler all had to deal with how you treat another person. Perhaps you don't find it as interesting as I do, but I think there is something deeper than we quickly pass over. Because ultimately Jesus would say, and I know there's no... Uh, description of how he got his money I, you know there's no there's no uh, 
prologue that tells us this is how he made his money or, or he got his money. It, it doesn't say that. But Jesus would address the issue le- uh, even deeper when he said, you need to go sell all that you have and give who? Not to the church. Give to the poor. So I don't know if there's some correlation there between the commandments of how he dealt with other people. I don't know if there is a connection of how that he he got his money with the way people should be treated. But I think there's something deeper. And I think that we cannot just pass over and say, well, you know, he told him to go sell all he had. I think there is a correlation between how he treated people and how he got his money. Because Jesus said, one thing you lack, go sell all that you have, give to the poor, come take up your cross and follow me, and you'll have eternal life. And the Bible said that the rich young ruler went away sorrowful because his possessions were many. His value of the things he possessed and how he treated people was greater than how he viewed eternal life. And to me, that's a tragedy. But I think as I survey this portion of Scripture, I think we can ask the young man, what do you think of a penny? What do you think of insignificant people? What do you think of people that cannot do anything for you? I look for people that can help me out. I I want people that can make my life better. I want people that can do things. But what are we doing for others? And I think that's the question that needs to be addressed as we look at vision and mission and the kingdom. Jesus begins in Matthew chapter 5 what we classify as the Sermon on the Mount. And I challenge this church this week to read the Sermon on the Mount. Because what you will find in the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus was addressing more about how we view people and we interact with people than anything else. About getting our priorities right about viewing a soul. I'm not here today to just simply emotionally stimulate you. While that's part of it, that's not the totality of what it's about. But I think collectively as a church that we've got to lean into the vision of God and the mission of Christ. The mission of Christ was God saying, What can I do for people that can do nothing back for me? Pretty sobering. Quite a challenging question. God says, I will do for them what they can do for themselves. And in reality, I'm not getting anything back for it unless they give me their heart. That's what Calvary's about. And you know what? He still did it. We often talk about how evil the day is. And Brother Jerry, if you help me just for a moment. 
We often talk about how evil the day is. I mean, man, our days are, man, there's wickedness everywhere. And we just, we get all just sideways about how much wickedness is. is. Same-sex marriage and, and, and homosexuality. And, 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 and we, we, kind of, we kind of polarize that because we're not doing it. But don't start preaching about attitudes of greed or lying or bearing false witness or how I treat people. Let's talk about sins. Pastor, preach about sins that none of us are committing so we can go rah-rah and feel better about ourselves. But what about our own issues of the heart? Do you not think that God knew the depravity of man before he created man? I mean, we, we treat some of these things like, well, God didn't know that was going to exist or he probably wouldn't have made man. Oh, yes, he did. Oh, yes, he did. He knew that, that Sodom would exist. And by the way, let's, let's visit Sodom for just a moment. Because if you get over into Ezekiel, he doesn't say that Sodom was destroyed because of homosexuality. Now we're quick to say, well, Sodom destroyed because of homosexuality. Ezekiel didn't say they were destroyed because of sexual deviancy. You know, what, you know what God said the reason Sodom was destroyed for? Pride, fullness of bread, and idleness of time. Think about that. We all know that pride goes before destruction and haughty spirit before fall. We read a few weeks ago where Solomon said, Give me just enough. Give me enough bread to fulfill my hunger. But don't give me too much because if I get too much, I'll be drawn away. And we all know the effects of too much time on our hands. And so the prophet said, this is the sin of thy sister Sodom. Pride, fullness of bread, and idleness of time. Kind of sounds like our day, doesn't it? And yet God is calling this church to wipe the myopic view from our eyes, to anoint our eyes with the eye sap of the Holy Ghost, to connect with a fresh anointing of Calvary, to realize that every soul is going to spend eternity somewhere. And God knew every sin that would exist. He knew every, every depravity, depravity of man that would exist. Most of us would have just walked away and said, you know what? <laughs> man, if it's going to be that bad, I'm not interested. But you know what God did? He waded right off into the mess and the quagmire of humanity. And said, there's nothing that man could ever do that would cause me not to love him.
You need to get this right here. There's nothing that man could ever do to cause me not to love him. Do you realize, ladies and gentlemen, it was love that allowed him to let the rich young ruler walk away? Could he, have, could he have lassoed him and called him back and said, wait a minute, boy, you need to come back and get this. He knew that if he manipulated him, he would manipulate his own will, and he loved him enough to let him be lost. That's a concept we can't hardly wrap our minds around. But God loves you enough to let you be lost if that's your choice. It's not his will. Oh, God. I feel the sovereignty of the moment. It's not His will. He doesn't want you to be lost. He doesn't want one person ever born to be lost. 